Thank you for listening today. We hope that this message from God's Word will help you to grow in your knowledge of God and your relationship with Him. At Lucy Baptist Church, we are fully committed to loving God, loving people, and making disciples. Now here's today's message. Well, amen. I invite you today to turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, as we um, are in our series from the Gospel of Luke. We entitled it, Jesus, Friend of Sinners. Luke chapter 9. Uh, we're going to read this morning with verse, begin reading with verse 57. A cartoon showed um, a church building with a large billboard in front of it that proclaimed the light, L-I-T-E, the light church. 24% fewer commitments, home of the 7.5% tithe, 15-minute sermons, 45-minute worship services. We have only eight commandments, your choice. We use just three spiritual laws and have an 800-year millennium. Everything else you wanted in a church and less. Well, we chuckle about that perhaps, but you know many today seem to want church light. They want commitment light. And some people seem to uh, want to appeal to people even in their presentation of what they call the gospel in that way as well. They're a little bit like maybe sometimes military recruiters are. Now, I know there are some, I'm sure, some honest recruiters out there, but they also sort of have a reputation for telling people what they want to hear in order to get them to sign up for their branch of the service. Uh, I heard, a, heard about a, a fellow who showed up uh, for uh, boot camp with his water skis and his rod and reel because his recruiter had told him that the boot camp was going to be on an island surrounded by wonderful water that was just ideal for water skiing and fishing. Well, the last part may have been true, but those of you who've been through boot camp would know that uh, he would have no time for such activities as that. Well, the Lord Jesus was an honest recruiter, and he wanted people to count the cost for becoming a follower of his. Let's stand together, if, you, if you're able, please, as we read this passage today, Luke chapter 9. We're going to begin reading with verse 57 and read through uh, verse 62. Again, I remind you that Jesus is on, the, the, the Bible tells us in our last passage, a turning point here in the Gospel of Luke as uh, he, from this point forward, was, was heading toward Jerusalem. And remember when we read those words, he's not only talking about going to the city of Jerusalem, but he's, he's ultimately talking about going to the cross. In Luke nine fifty seven, we read, Now it happened as they journeyed on the road, that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and 
bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. And from this passage, I'll bring a message entitled, Counting the Cost of Following Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful privilege this morning of worship. Thank you, Lord, that we've been able to gather as your people here. And again, we thank you that we, we, we still live in a nation where that's possible uh, to gather without uh, fear, Lord, of, of our lives or, uh, or of hindrance. We thank you for that. And we, we too often count that, that privilege uh, as uh, something to be treated lightly. But Father, how we praise you today for this privilege to come together and worship and exalt the name of Jesus. And we ask now, Father, as we have opened your word together, we pray for the, for the illumination of your spirit upon every heart today. We pray for the work of your spirit, Lord, to, to deal with those, Lord, who, who may have assumed that they are following you, but have not truly counted the cost. For those, Lord, who've yet to follow you, Lord, that, that you would speak to their heart, that they would see the cost for following Christ, but also recognize the cost of not following Christ. So, Father, please speak to hearts today and be glorified in this time together in your word. As we continue in a spirit of worship, we thank you for your presence. Would you continue to manifest your presence among your people today? We love you. We exalt you. We worship you in Jesus' precious name and for his glory. And all God's people agreed and said, amen. And you may be seated. Again, these, these encounters um, happened as that we've read about as they were following uh, the Lord Jesus, as, as rather Jesus had indicated they were on the road uh, to Jerusalem on their way, as we said, which was an, another way of saying they were on their way. He was on his way to the cross. Um, and Jesus used these encounters with these, these three individuals. Matthew records two of them. Uh, and, uh, and again, to show them that the essential of counting the cost. We've already seen that earlier in this same chapter. We'll see it again on at least two more occasions uh, in the Gospel of Luke. So Jesus was very clear in that. And again, we, we, uh, we see this in, in many ways in contrast to many methods today of presenting the Gospel. But Jesus called people to count the cost of following him. So look with me today at these three accounts, these three incidents, if you will, these three individuals, and see how Jesus uh, calls out to us to count the cost of following him. First of all, notice following Jesus means a willingness to sacrifice comfort and security. Counting the cost a willingness to sacrifice comfort and security. Uh, again, according to Matthew, this first individual was a scribe. And of course, a scribe was, uh, uh, had a very important role in that day and, and uh, was responsible for the, for the, for, for the uh, continuation and the, uh, the copying of the, of the, uh, of the Hebrew Scriptures uh, the, and, and the, the Old Testament as we know it today. Uh, but also were somewhat like theologians in their day. And, and most often when we see them in Scripture, they are uh, in opposition to the Lord Jesus and oftentimes trying to trip him up or trying to uh, in some way undermine him and his ministry. But this man seems to be sincere. Here he is among the, the crowd. Perhaps he has seen the miracles of 
Jesus and he's heard the teaching of Jesus. He's heard the call of Jesus to follow him. And perhaps again, like Jesus' own disciples who, who should have known better uh, and yet still seem to have in mind that desire to follow him as Messiah, but one who would be a political Messiah, one who would lead uh, the nation politically, but also perhaps thinking about uh, what could be in it for him in the way of a position or even prosperity. Uh, and, and so, uh, again, this man, however, seems uh, sincere. And even, even uh, his impulsiveness uh, is, is refreshing. What would we do had we been there among, among those? We probably would have said, sign this man up. Man, awesome. We're excited to, to get this fellow. What great uh, um, potential he has. I mean, this man knows the Scripture. And wow, what a, what a great uh, addition he would be uh, to our fold. Uh, but again, the Lord Jesus knew this man's heart. And again, maybe he was caught up in the emotion and, and the mom, uh, of the moment and had not really counted the cost, certainly did not recognize that following Jesus meant following him to the cross. And even as Jesus would have, has already said and would say again, it meant taking up his cross to follow the Lord Jesus. It was a call to come and die. And, uh, and so Jesus responds to him. How does Jesus respond? In verse 58, we see what Jesus said. He said, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Uh, foxes um, and uh, birds were uh, obviously very plentiful uh, to them in their day, and we have quite a few of them around in, in our day. Some of you uh, see them out pretty often in our community, and, and uh, and so we know how common they are. But you know one thing about those foxes and those birds, as they are today, none of them are homeless, at least not for long. And, uh, and yet Jesus said, uh, I, am, I am homeless, and uh, in, in a real sense. The, the creation had, had more physis, physical security and comfort, in a sense, than did uh, the Lord Jesus himself. We know from the very beginning, the Lord Jesus, uh, as he was uh, conceived in Mary's womb, and it came time to give birth to him, uh, there was not even room then, as we know that very familiar story uh, for the Lord Jesus. And, and, uh, and so... So again, we just saw last week in the passage where he was on his way into that Samaritan village and sent his disciples ahead to make arrangements for a place to stay. And they said, no, he isn't welcome here. He wasn't welcome there. There was no place for lodging there among them. So, so Jesus is saying to this would-be disciple, this one who's uh, does expressed a desire to follow him, he's in essence saying to him, if you're wanting to follow me because of what's in it for you, if you're wanting to follow me for comfort and for security or for prosperity, uh, listen, beware. You may end up homeless like me. Don't seek me for comfort. Don't seek me for physical security. You know, I, I believe everyone in this room today would not be considered by the world's standards as being poor. And God doesn't require uh, all of us to be, uh, to be physically poor. He has blessed us abundantly. And he does bless some with more wealth than others. Uh, those uh, as his children that he can trust to invest that in eternity and use that for his glory, not for their own, uh, for their own use or consumption. But he blesses them uh, to uh, be a channel to bless others. He promises to 
provide our need. And he, also, he tells us in the, even in the model prayer that we are to, to ask him to provide our daily bread, our daily needs. In Matthew 6, he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you, the things that we need. God loves us and, and he, he, uh, he's honored in providing for our, our need. But again, Jesus is not promising us prosperity. You know, the, Jesus called this man uh, to, uh, to, to, to make a response. And the gospel always calls for a response. We don't know how, we don't know how this man responded, uh, but there's no indication that he chose to follow him. Uh, he may have been like that rich young ruler we read about in, in Mark 10, 21 and 22. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go, sell all that you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And, and of course, uh, this man may have done the same thing, he may have walked away sorrowful, disappointed, because uh, he wasn't willing to follow Jesus at that kind of cost. This man uh, didn't consider Jesus a treasure worth losing everything for. Do you? Are you willing to follow the Lord Jesus, even if that means uh, giving up comfort, even if that means sacrificing uh, security? Uh, because the greatest security is in knowing Christ. And the greatest security is eternal security, a relationship with the Lord Jesus. You know, Jesus' words in this uh, one uh, response uh, demolishes what is sometimes referred to today as the prosperity gospel. Uh, uh, one very popular preacher of this false teaching is Joel Osteen. He wrote a book entitled Your Best Not Life Now, in which he writes, God has already done everything he's going to do. He said, the ball is now in your court. If you want success, if you want wisdom, he said, if you want to be prosperous and healthy, you're going to have to do more than meditate and believe. You must boldly declare the words of faith and victory over yourself uh, and, uh, and again, uh, and your family. Well, contrast these words to the words of Jesus. Jesus said, the Son of Man has no place. Though the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So in essence, Jesus is saying, are, are, you must be willing to give up prosperity, not gain prosperity. You must be willing uh, to do whatever it takes in, in order to follow me and to be obedient to me. You know, Paul, uh, one of the, the, the greatest missionaries uh, of all time, uh, spent most of his time, a great deal of his time at least, in prison. He knew it was to be shipwrecked, to be beaten, uh, and, and, and because of his following of Christ. And, and he and, and, and many others, in fact, 11, uh, uh, 10 of the disciples at least, uh, were, uh, were known to have died martyrs' death. Uh, and, and, uh, and many of the New Testament, early New Testament church saints died as martyrs for their faith. Many today, they, they, uh, they, they risk their lives, and many of them give up their lives. Many of them are in prison today. And, uh, you know, that doesn't sound very successful, doesn't it? It doesn't sound very healthy. Uh, it, it doesn't uh, sound very prosperous. Again, that's not what Jesus has called us to. And in fact, he has, uh, he has uh, made it very clear that that's not what we're to anticipate. So again, we must be willing to sacrifice, Jesus said, uh, prosperity and, and, and comfort and security in order to follow him. Have you counted that cost in following the Lord Jesus? He is a treasure worth giving up everything for. Jesus wanted this man to know the truth about following him. 
But second, notice the, the second fellow Jesus responded, and we learn from him that following Jesus means your loyalty to him supersedes all other obligations. Your loyalty to him supersedes all other obligations. Again, uh, in verse 15, the Bible says, then he said to another, follow me. Um, and, and of course, this man, by the way, and, and Matthew tells us, was, uh, was a disciple. Uh, someone who's already, not one of the, not one of the 12, but one, but one who had, uh, who's already obviously indicated a desire to follow him. And Jesus turned to him and, and, and said, follow me. And this is a present imperative. It means keep on following me. Jesus was calling for a total life commitment for the rest of his life. I recently heard of someone who had the opportunity to share the gospel with someone, someone in our church sharing the gospel with someone, and, and uh, the response of the person was, well, you know, I, I, I think I'll try that. And I'm glad the person uh, from our church responded wisely and said, no, it's not just something you try. It's not just a temporary uh, trial run here. Let's just see how it works. If it doesn't work out, I can always go back uh, to my old lifestyle. No, that's not what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus is calling for a total life commitment, <coughs> excuse me, for the rest of your life. <coughs> excuse me. And this is a, a call to immediately deny oneself and follow Jesus. That's what Jesus called for. Uh, and you remember the disciples when they followed Jesus? They, uh, they left their nets immediately and followed those who were fishermen and followed the Lord Jesus. And that's what he calls us to do, to follow him. Uh, and earlier in, in, uh, in 923, Jesus said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. The word deny is an interesting word. It, it literally means to refuse to associate with. To refuse to associate with. So what Jesus is calling us to do, to refuse to associate with who we used to be. When we follow Jesus, we take on a whole new identity. His his identity. We become his disciple, everything that we are. That's why the Bible talks about it in terms of losing your life in order to find your life in him, taking on a whole new identity. Well, uh, what does this man, how does this man respond? Verse, verse 59, uh, he says, well, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. That seems like a pretty Pretty reasonable request, doesn't it? Let me first go and, and, uh, and bury my father. Uh, well, again, he's wanting to postpone the assignment just a little bit. And, and while it seems like a pretty legitimate thing, uh, many believe that this man's father is not dead yet. Uh, that he is, is aging, he's getting closer to death. In fact, we're told that this term is, is even used today uh, among people, and, and particularly in the Middle East. And, and, uh, but, uh, and again, one, one um, uh, close hint to what's going on here is this word, let me first, me first, basically. It's a matter of, of priority. But others believe there was also a financial uh, concern at here because not only would he be uh, be uh, taking care of his father uh, until uh, death as he grows older, but also there would be a financial inheritance involved. So it'd be a matter of of uh, being able to uh, be more financially secure uh, again that idea. Uh, but how does Jesus respond? Well, in verse sixty, we see that the Lord Jesus said, "Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God." Now, does that seem rather harsh to you? Jesus said, you just, let the dead bury the dead. You come, you go and, and, and following me, that means you go and preach 
the kingdom, proclaim the kingdom of God. And again, what, what Jesus is doing, he is indicating to this man that, that demonstrating uh, one's loyalty to him, to follow Jesus means that our loyalty to him supersedes all other obligations. Whether again, it's family, whether it's occupational, the Lord Jesus is our first responsibility. Now, I want to remind you in telling you that, that of course, the Lord Jesus is not denying what Scripture says. We know one of the commandments is to honor our father and mother, to treat them with honor and respect. And part of that honoring them is certainly caring for them. Jesus demonstrated that when he took care of after Joseph's death, obviously, he became responsible for for caring uh, for his family until others were able to take on that responsibility. And, and even at the cross, the Lord Jesus turned to John and said, behold your mother and his mother, behold your son, giving that responsibility of, uh, to John and caring for his mother, as well as realizing the, 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 the importance of the family of God in that, in that situation. So Jesus doesn't tell us to dishonor or disobey the rest of scripture in doing so, but he is showing us that our, our relationship with him, our loyalty to him supersedes all other responsibilities. And, and, and that should be true of the life of the child of God, but again, because he uh, is, is, is our life and, he's, and our identity is wrapped up in who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. So how does the, again, the Lord Jesus tells him, let the dead bury the dead. The, the, he's indicating here that, that even the spiritually dead can take care of those responsibilities. Uh, but, but only a true child of God who is a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ can take on his responsibility. And that's why it's so important that we be laborers in what he's called us to be and to do. And again, and, and Jesus says to him, you, he says, you go and preach the kingdom of God. And again, preaching or proclaiming the kingdom of God is something only a disciple can do. Those who are spiritually dead can't do that. Only those who are followers of Christ. And, and, and again, the word following here is just another way of saying becoming a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so our responsibility is to go and proclaim the gospel. That is our mandate as, the, as God's church. That is our mandate as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ to make and to multiply disciples to the end of the earth the end of time to fulfill the great commission of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not that proclaiming the kingdom of God, it's not that making and multiplying disciples makes uh, our relationship with Christ, but it, it demonstrates our relationship with Christ. It is what we do because it is who we are. We do what we do because we are who we are. We are his disciples. We are his followers. And he is our life. And so it's our joy to take the gospel. It's our joy to make, make and multiply disciples because that's what Jesus uh, has given us the, the privilege of doing in his great commission. And again, um, uh, in, in Luke 14, Jesus said, every one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciples. So following Jesus means your loyalty to him supersedes all other obligations. Is that true of you? Can you look at your life today and honestly say, I'm a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am following Jesus and my loyalty to him 
supersedes all other obligations. You say, but pastor, I got a job. Absolutely. And, and do you need to do a good job? You certainly do. The Bible says whatever you do, do it with your whole heart as to the Lord and not unto man. He doesn't want you to slough off on your job. That's a part of who you are as his disciples, is representing him on your job. But first and foremost, your, your obligation is to him. Your loyalty is to him. Do you live that way? Is that obvious? You know, and, and that's true in your relationship with others. And it's true of your commitment within the local church. You know, in our process right now of our membership matters and, and our seeking to restore uh, inactive church members. Uh, we've encountered people who, who basically have the attitude that, that, that church participation, uh, whether it's in worship, in Bible study, community groups, any part of the life of the church, is just kind of optional. They'll, many of them will say, oh yeah, I have a relationship with Christ, but they treat uh, the church as optional, like participating in the church is optional. You know, that would be foreign, foreign to the hearts and lives of many of our brothers and sisters in Christ in communist countries, in Muslim countries today, who, who participate in the life of the church. Many of them, when they gather, they have to do so secretly. They show up at various different times so that they don't, uh, it doesn't appear that many of them are coming at once. They meet in very small groups. Their churches can never get any larger than just what could fit inside of a living room in their small homes because, again, to be larger than that would, would, would be a, a great risk. But they gather, they assemble at risk of losing their property and their land, and it often happens. At risk of, of, uh, of loss of their jobs, which also is something that ha is a reality to many of them. They, they gather together at risk of losing their own lives, and that too is a reality for many of them. Dear friend, they don't treat this. They, they believe that, that Jesus, that, that again, Jesus is worthy of following even if it costs everything. Do you consider that to be true? Do you consider your, your relationship with Christ, your loyalty to him, an obligation and a joy, if you will, that supersedes all other obligations? But third, I want you to see the third man that Jesus encountered. And from him, we learn that following Jesus means your love for him supersedes all other relationships. Your love for him supersedes all other relationships. Notice again, um, this, this fella, again, he, he, he in essence volunteered. He said, Lord, I will follow you. You know, he overheard this other fella who said, no, I need to go back and take care of my father until he passes away. No, he said, Lord, I, I, my, I'm not, my, my delay is not nearly that long term, Lord. Notice what he said. Let, let me first uh, go and, uh, and, and, and bid farewell to them who are at my house. Now, you know, that seems pretty, pretty reasonable request, doesn't it? Again, even when we read over in, in, uh, in 1 Kings, when, when Elijah, uh, when, when, when Elisha was going to follow, Elijah, Elijah allowed him to go back and even uh, bid farewell to his family and then catch up with him. I mean, he might say, Lord, you, I, can, I can move fast. Lord, you go, you go on and keep on on your way and, and I'll run back and see my family and say goodbye to them, give them all a hug and a kiss, and then I'll, I'll catch up with you. It won't take long. How did Jesus respond? That's Jesus uh, respond to him. No, notice again, by the way, that the word first here in, in the original uh, language here in, in the Greek uh, New Testament, this word receives the greatest emphasis of the entire, entire text. So it's, in essence, he's saying, let me first. Uh, and, and again, it sounds like he's just going to run back to the house and say goodbye. And yet notice Jesus' response in verse 62. He says, no one 
having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Now keep in mind, of course, Jesus knows the heart of all of these men, unlike we. He knows their heart. And and knowing this man's heart, Jesus in essence is saying, don't look back. Uh, You have to be totally focused on me. And he knew what this man really desired in his heart was more than just running home and saying goodbye, but, but he knew that he was focused, uh, focused there. And, and, and Jesus says, you, you've got to keep your eyes on me. And, and again, if you're plowing, uh, and some of you know about that, maybe uh, some who don't have a, a plowing background aren't real sure about that, but, uh, uh, and I haven't done a lot of plowing. As a kid, I used to help my granddad uh, to, uh, uh, to, to, to plow the furrows with a little handheld tractor for the, for the not tractor, but little plow, and so we could drop the seeds in. And, and I do know you have to look straight ahead, and you have to be focused on where you're headed. And if you don't, if you're looking back, you can only imagine what kind of row you're going you're gonna to have. And, and so Jesus is, is pointing out that we must keep our eyes focused on him. You know, another uh, illustration are rearview mirrors. Most of us have them, and they're pretty important. Uh, you know, but they're made for glancing, we don't keep our eyes focused on our rearview mirror. Guess what happens to people who keep their eyes focused on their rearview mirrors? Right, they wreck. And uh, don't do that. I mean, it's okay for glancing, but it's not good for focusing on. We're to focus ahead. And that's what the Lord Jesus is calling us to, to focus on him. And again, in saying this, he is telling us and teaching us that our love for him must supersede all other relationships. And again, we're to focus upon the Lord Jesus. He told us, and he will tell us that in Luke 14, 26, if anyone comes uh, to me and does not hate his own father and mother and, and wife and children and brothers and sisters... Yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, Jesus, of course, isn't calling us to literal hatred, but he is telling us there, and we'll see that again, that our love for him is to be so supreme and so great, so much more than any other relationship, that again, it it makes our love for our family or anyone else look like hate. We love him so much more because our lives are so wrapped up in who he is. Does that describe you today? Jesus Jesus told us that there would be reward for those who in this life and in eternal life for this kind of radical commitment. He said in Matthew uh, 19, 29, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But Jesus is saying, don't look back. Keep your eyes focused on me. And in in Luke 17, we read, remember Lot's wife. Do you remember Lot's wife? She looked back and you know what happened to her. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, Jesus said in verse 33 following that word. But whoever loses his life will keep it. Are you willing today to lose your life to find it? in the Lord Jesus Christ. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a pastor and a theologian during the time of of Nazi Germany, and he sought to lead his people to serve Christ in the midst of that very, very difficult situation. Someone, no doubt, who needs to be read afresh today. He wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship, in which he said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. He bids him come and die. And again, Jim Elliott's words, he is no fool who loses what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. In his book, Radical, 
David Platt tells a story of meeting two young teenage men in Asia, again, who were in that, un, in that secret church, so to speak, uh, who had to meet uh, very carefully and privately. And, and uh, one of them by the name of Ling uh, and another by the name of Shan. He said, Ling said to him, I, I've told my family that I will likely never come back home. I'm going to hard places to make the gospel known, and it is possible that I will lose my life in the process. Shan added, our families understand. Our moms and dads have been in prison for their faith, and they have taught us that Jesus is worthy of all of our devotion. Parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, I wonder if we're teaching our children that. Are we teaching our children in our church that Jesus is worth losing everything for? In, in Matthew 13, 44, Jesus told a very brief parable about the kingdom of God. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. You imagine that fellow walking through that field. He, he's, he comes across a treasure. He realizes that it's hidden there. And, uh, and he, wow, he's amazed. But he goes and he sells everything that he has. And I'm sure people thought how foolish you are selling all that you have. And, and, and to buy what? To buy that old piece of land? <laughs> That's not worth that. But he did that. He gave it all up because he knew the treasure that was hidden there. Dear friends, the treasure is Christ. The treasure is Christ. Jesus is worthy. Jesus is worth losing everything for. He's worth giving everything up, all, all the comfort, all the security. Uh, again, uh, all, for, for, to be the chief source of our life, who is our life. He's worth losing everything for. And again, uh, that's what Jesus calls us to, to count the cost. But dear friend, I want to challenge you not only count the cost of following him, if you haven't done so. But if you're here and you've never repented of your sin and placed your faith in Christ, I want to encourage you to also count the cost of not following him. You see, the Bible tells us this gospel is something we, we cherish and we, we not only want to share it with unbelievers, but we, we rejoice in it as believers when we think about the fact that we are a creation of God, that we're created by God and therefore accountable to God because he is our creator. But because of sin that happened way back there in the garden uh, and now to which we have now received the consequences, uh, because of sin, we recognize we're separated from God apart from Christ and realize that if we remain in that state, we would spend eternity in hell uh, apart from Christ for all eternity. But God in his grace sent the Lord Jesus who came, who loved us, who lived a perfect and sinless life. But one day he went to a cross and who took on our sin, who became sin for us, the Bible says, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And, and we realize that, when, that, that Jesus died, he was buried, he rose again, he's alive right now. And, and, and he, 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 he not only received our sin, but also he received the penalty of our sin. And, and he received uh, all of the wrath of God poured out on him at the cross. But again, on that third day, after dying for our sin, he rose again. He's alive right now. Our Savior lives. Our Savior lives. 
And when we repent of our sin, turn from our sin, put our faith and trust in Christ, Christ comes into our lives and he gives us his very life. And now we have eternal life forever and ever and ever. Oh, dear friend, Jesus really is the treasure worth losing everything for. But I warn you today, do not, do not fail to see the cost of not following him. Because not to follow him means to remain in your sin. It means to go out into eternity apart from Christ and spend eternity in hell forever and ever. But God loves you, and God has provided you the privilege of hearing the gospel so that you might repent, so that you might respond to the gospel today. This is Pastor David Lawrence. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that God used his word in your life today. If you do not have a relationship with God, the Bible says you can as you turn from your sin, place your faith in Christ Jesus, his death for you on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, and surrender your life to Jesus as Lord. We'd like to invite you to join us for worship. You can find information about the times and locations for all of our gatherings on our website at lucybaptist.com. If you have any questions or if we can minister to you in any way, please call us at 901-872-0623 or email us at info at lucybaptist.com.